God, one of the things that I love about this place is the opportunity every Sunday to gather with people that I love and adore and to give you praise collectively. So many times we can do it privately, but I love doing it collectively together with this family. And so, God, receive our praise and our adoration as our way of expressing to you how deeply in love with you we are and how much we enjoy being together. Father, I ask for your anointing on this message. This message can change lives forever. But it's only great information if you don't anoint it with your power. And I need that. And so I ask that you will do that this morning in really clear ways as we share this truth today and wrap up our series on Moses. May you bless it with your amazing power. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Colin, thank you very much. I don't know if Kenny will hear, but boy, I love that sax. I miss that. A lot of you just celebrated July 4th, Independence Day. Day to remember our breaking free from Britain and starting our life as a new nation. After all of these years of history that have gone by, a lot of us see it as only a day off work, a family reunion, or a picnic. But for those who lived under the tyranny of another nation and then became free, it's much more meaningful than a day off work and a family picnic. And of course, you know that freedom is not free. Thousands pay the ultimate price for the freedom that you and I just celebrated. And I trust we never, ever forget that. You have your sermon notes in your bulletin this morning. I encourage you to take them out. We're going to wrap up our series on Moses in Exodus with an incredible amount of information. And I say that for a couple of reasons. All of this goes together. Every single song that we sang this morning ties into what we're about to share in the context of this message. I'm going to be golf for the next few weeks. I save up most of my vacation for July. It kind of ramps me up, and then i got to refill my tanks because they're about empty, and then come back in August. So uh, I knew when I looked at all of this, we've got to pull it together, got to wrap it up. But I'm telling you, as I said in a prayer, this information can change your life. But if it's only information, it's then information for information's sake. It's got to be applied. So not only see it as this morning as we share it, unpack it, Take it with you. Begin to process it. Give it the opportunity at the end to respond. But I'm telling you, exactly what we're sharing this morning, exactly what we sang this morning is what God wants to do in our life. We're going to talk about this drama that's unfolding in this powerful demonstration, as we sang about this morning, between God's power and the power of the enemy. In this case, Egypt. Now, we've been studying Moses, the principal character in this story, for a while. And chapter 2, God called him to be an instrument of deliverance that God would use to deliver his people, the Israelites, who had been in bondage in Egypt for hundreds of years. He hesitated. To be honest with you, I think for some legitimate reasons. Number one, he was clearly aware of the power that he was going to be asked to go up against in the Egyptians and in Pharaoh. Secondly, he recognized his own weakness. And was honest about that. This is an incredible task. Some estimate almost 2 million people that he's about to take out of Egypt, not only fighting the power of Egypt, but heading to the promised land. It's an incredible endeavor. He'd been idle for 40 years. 40 years growing up in Egypt, 40 years of being idle, waiting for God's call in his life, and then for the next 40 years to lead the people of Israel. That's a long time sitting in the sidelines waiting. And now all of a sudden, here he is with this incredible task in front of him. Thirdly, he hesitated, I believe, because he was uncertain as to how the people that he was to lead would receive his leadership. And to be honest with you, that's the fear of a lot of leaders. 
It's one thing to be called as a pastor of a church. It's another thing to wonder, will they follow? Will they be okay with my leadership? Will they want to go where God is calling us? And finally, you've got to add to the fact they'd been in bondage for hundreds of years. And just because Moses showed up and said, you're now free, doesn't mean they're going to believe it. There's something about oppression and bondage that develops in the human spirit that after years of difficulty and despair makes it hard to believe that you can ever be free. They've been in slavery for over 200 years. All the people in the generation that Moses would lead, all they'd ever known was sin, slavery, death, and dysfunction. To believe there really was life and freedom Health and hope for their family, as much as you want it, is hard to grasp. Moses is going to get resistance from the very people he's trying to set free. Remember we began this series after they were already out there running out of water saying, it was better that we stayed there. It was not. But when that's all they knew, and now this stop or plan or problem they're facing, it's hard for them to believe they'll ever finally reach the ultimate freedom God has promised. Now, this morning, we're going to move from Exodus chapter 5 to chapter 10. So you got seat belts in your seat this morning. Buckle up. Hang on. You're going to get whiplash if you don't stay together here. you got four major themes that are filtered all the way through here. They're not sequential, one, two, three, four. They're concurrent. They all go on at the same time, kind of like your life. With a lot of things going on, you feel like you got a lot of plates spinning. This is what's happening there. All these different things are happening at the same time. In your sermon notes, the first theme is the bondage of the people. Second is the fragile, frightened, yet consistent obedience of Moses to his call. Third is God's persistence in provision, presence, and power in sustaining him. And finally, the strategy of the enemy. Now, all through this message, we're going to make a parallel between Moses' battle with the enemy, in his case, Pharaoh, and our battle with Satan. So you've got to recognize that as filtered all the way through here. By the end of chapter 4, everybody's excited. We sang it last Sunday morning. We celebrated it last Sunday morning. Got a couple of texts and a couple of emails saying you appreciated last Sunday's message and the context of that. Moses told them exactly who God was, who he was, and what he would do. They're excited about that. He's ready to face the enemy. So in chapter 5, verse 1, place Charlton Heston, let my people go. Pharaoh's response, okay, no problem. I've been waiting for years for somebody to come and take all these people. Take them. Not at all. Look at what he says in verse 2. Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? Is that not one of the scariest statements you can imagine someone saying? Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Moses said, okay, I didn't mean let him go. I meant, can we have a three-day pass? I'm going to just go away for the weekend do some worship, come back, sing some songs, take an offering. You can't sing songs without taking an offering and have church, right? You gotta have an offering. And we'll get back to work. Right? That's what he says. Things get from bad to worse. King said to Moses, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to work. And Pharaoh said, Look, these people of this land are so numerous, and you're stopping them from working. The same day Pharaoh gave orders to the slave drivers and the overseers in charge of the people. No longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Why do you have straw for making bricks? Anybody know? What? Holds the mortar together, right? Okay. So you know. 
making straw for bricks. Let them go out and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as they did before. Don't reduce the quota. How many of this sounds like your boss? Don't raise your hand if your boss is sitting near you anywhere. They're lazy. This is why they're crying out, let's go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people. So they kept working and paying no attention to those lies. First theme. You see that? That strategy of the enemy, stiffening resistance at the possibility of freedom. His strategy is to crush your hope of ever being free, of even making your bondage at times even worse, making you feel like your life will never change so that you'll even give up trying. I don't know if you've ever been there. But you feel like I'm this close. All that junk that I've been dealing with, that battle that I've had, I keep falling back. I keep falling back. You promise freedom. God promised freedom. The Word promises freedom. And just as you think you're about to get there, things get worse. The bottom falls out. And after a while, you feel like, I'm never going to make it. I've tried. I've tried. I've tried this Christian thing. I've prayed. I've sought help. I've read books. Just not going to make it exactly what the enemy wants you to believe and of course we want things now right we live in a microwave world instant internet we want everything right now but you know as well as I do life doesn't work like that do you know how long it took from chapter 5 in Exodus when the plan was presented then the plagues came and they finally were free in chapter 12 anybody one year it wasn't like you flipped the chapter turned the page all of a sudden, one plague after the next, on Monday this plague, on Tuesday this plague, on Wednesday this plague, Thursday that one. By the end of the second week, Pharaoh said, okay, out of here. Not at all. It was a long period of time, one year from the time Moses confronted Pharaoh until they walk out of Egypt. The enemy doesn't want you to be free. When you've tried to be free and you see some light at the end of the tunnel, that hope of freedom only to fall and stumble in the same area, the enemy of your soul will try to convince you that you'll never get there. Don't believe the lies. Sometimes the work gets harder, the bondage gets greater, and the temptation gets worse. You're making strict bricks without straw. You're right where the people of God have been for centuries. The typical strategy the evil one is to stifle hope. Don't buy the lie. My... One of my favorite radio preachers is Paul Shepard. He's on at 7 o'clock on Sunday morning. So you're all up. Anyhow, you're on your way to the service. you got to listen to this guy. He is just fiery and phenomenal. He's talking about this very thing this morning of all things. And he kept saying it over and over again. Don't buy the lie. Now, for the Israelites, the strategy worked. Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told that they've got to reduce the number of uh, we can't reduce the number of bricks. You've got to meet your quota in chapter 5. <coughs> when they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron, and they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You've made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials. Put a sword to his hand to kill us. And the strategy worked on Moses. And if you're in any kind of leadership, you know that feeling. He's devastated. Everything he's trying to do is somehow outside his control. He expected trouble and resistance from Pharaoh. Now he gets it from the very people he's trying to rescue. He's got to feel totally alone and absolutely on his own. One of my favorite stories is about the mayor of Chicago. It's the first mayor, Richard Daly. Maybe you've heard of him before. He was larger than life. One time one of his speechwriters came to him and said, I'd like a raise. 
Indignant, Daly refused, and he said, It ought to be enough for you, young man, that you're working for and writing for a great American hero. End of discussion. Two weeks later, Daly's giving a speech at the National Convention of Veterans on television, and one of the things he was noted for was delivering his speeches without looking at them. So he began to give this speech, was about to talk about the plan he had for the care of the veterans in our country, and most people at that point would fall asleep, but now they're really excited to see what he's going to say, and he's excited to see what he's going to say. He turns the page, and written on the top is this, you're on your own now, you great American hero. <clears throat> Just a guess, but I don't think he got a raise. I got to believe that's what Moses felt like. I'm on my own. What do I do? The very people that I wanted to lead, the very people who've been crying for 200 years to be free, God said, okay, I'll honor that, I'll answer that, I'll set you free, are the ones who say, what are you doing? It's only getting worse. What I love about Moses, he's not perfect, does a lot of things wrong, but one of the things he constantly does right is he goes to God with every problem and every circumstance. And when he goes to God, he's honest and pours out his heart to God. It reminds me a lot of David who is just so flat out honest with God. God, are you out there? Do you even listen when I pray? God, where are you? Do you see where I'm at? And he does that over and over again. And what I love about Moses one of the only phrases in all of Scripture where it says in later context of Moses, and God changed his mind based on a prayer of Moses. Brother Andrew wrote a book called God Changes His Mind, something along that line. It is a phenomenal book. Moses pours out his heart to God. God, why have you brought this trouble on the people? And is this why you sent me? Verse 22. Chapter 6, God comes back to Moses and said, look, Moses, I will do what I said I would do. I will set him free. I will break the bondage. I'll deliver you from the power of evil. God says to him again, I'm the Lord. Remember we did last Sunday morning? God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But that name I didn't mention to them. I didn't make myself fully known. I've established a covenant. Promised them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I've heard their groaning whom the Egyptians are enslaving. And I remember the covenant. And he goes on in the next few verses to say, look, I will do what I said I will do. If God says, I'll walk with you even through the valley of the shadow of death, he will. If God said, I'll never leave you or forsake you, he will. If God said, I'll cast your sin as far away as the east from the west, he will. If God says, I'll be with you in every single circumstance you face, he will. He always keeps his promises. People don't believe it. In verse 9, they couldn't even imagine being free. As a church, or when you witness, you'll realize sometimes that some of the people we minister to and some of the people you witness to really won't believe they can be free. They really won't believe their life can be any better. Maybe you're here this morning and that's what you need to hear. You need to know that God who loves us, cares about us, sent someone to die on the cross for us in the person of Jesus Christ who gave his life so that you and I can be free from the bondage and power of the enemy. That is not just about the songs we sing or the celebration that we do at Christmas and Easter. That is the absolute truth. If you're here this morning and think, I'll never, ever, ever be able to break the bondage that I'm in, get free from where I'm at, 
Run from what I'm struggling with. I'm here to tell you, the God of the universe who gave you life, who brought up the sun this morning, is the God who says, I am and can, will do what I promised. you got to believe that. And that may be only one of you here this morning or maybe somebody in the next service who really needs to know that. Moses, by the end of chapter 5, said, God, why are you doing this to me? If you've ever led a small group or if you've led a, 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 anything of any size, you probably at some point or the other said, I just, it's just not working. I don't understand what's going on. Where are you, God? I feel alone. I feel alone. In chapter 6, God answers Moses. He reminds him of his promise. God said he would do what he said he would do. He would rescue the people. God is persistent in his promise, persistent in his power. And in chapter 7 to 10, he releases the 10 plagues. You can read the story later. It's one of those most familiar. Water turns to blood, the plague of frogs, the gnats, the flies, disease on the cattle, boils, hails, locusts, darkness, and finally, the death of the firstborn. The sequence of events keep getting worse and worse and worse. And, and Pharaoh keeps getting closer and then closer and then let's go. All demonstrations of God's power over the gods of Egypt, everyone serving as a battling ram to loosen Pharaoh's grip. Six times during the plagues, the word of the Lord came forth from Moses to Pharaoh, let my people go. And six times Moses, or Pharaoh said no. And five of those six times he said no, but with a compromise. Remember one of the themes we talked about as a strategy of the enemy? One is resistance to make things worse, to get us discouraged. Then the plagues come and God begins to pour out and... The second strategy of the enemy in the form of Pharaoh is to offer partial freedom, compromise. Won't be complete, but you'll feel good for a little while. In your notes are five compromises that Pharaoh offers that are very typical strategies of the enemy to keep people from entering into full freedom and the lies that keep us from being fully devoted followers of Christ. First was in chapter 8, verse 8. I'll let you go sometime. You feel freedom is out there somewhere. You hear a preacher talk about freedom in Christ, and here we are six weeks or six months later, and still in bondage, and discouragement settles in, and it's easy to give up hope. Don't buy the lie. Second, chapter 8, verse 25. Go sacrifice, but don't leave Egypt. Stay here. It's as if he's saying, go to church, get involved. You just need to know I'm never going to release you from the thing that you struggle with the most. Maybe nobody in church will know about it. Maybe, maybe no one will see it on Sunday. But I'm just telling you right now, you're not going to get free from that. You can worship God, but I need you to know I'll be tripping you up all the time. And, and you'll, you'll just so, get so discouraged that you'll quit. So why don't you just stay here? You don't have to give up all your old ways. You know what repentance is, turning your life over to Christ? It's walking this way, doing your own thing, following your own path. doesn't really matter what I do. It's all about me until I say, I'm tired of that. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to give my life to Christ. I turn around and I start walking this way. He says in here, okay, stay somewhere in the middle. Walk this way. You know, try your best to do this, but you're probably going to slip up. Let me tell you for those of you to drive, 
when does most often, or when do you most often hit the squirrel? When he what? Runs back. Right? When do you, now none of you have ever hit a squirrel. I know they're so cute, and I try not to, but. When do you most often see the squirrel getting hit? When he runs back, right? And what does he look like? I know, yeah. I know. <laughs> but isn't that the truth? Most of the time, the rabbit, the squirrel, whatever, gets hit. It's because he's running back. We're driving down the road. I'm thinking, just keep going, keep going, keep going. Coming back from the family function the other night, I'm 228, and there is a turkey in the middle of Mars, Pennsylvania. I'm thinking, where are they down there for? There's a semi coming this way. I'm coming this way with a trailer and my Harley on the back, and I'm thinking, this old boy is not going to make it. And he made it. You know why? He kept on going the right way. I'm telling you. Don't buy the lies. It, you can't keep going back hoping that somehow it'll all work out. you got to keep on this path. All in your sermon notes are the corresponding cross-reference verses. I urge you. It's almost as Paul is saying. He, spent, he spends 11 chapters in the book of Romans building a case for who God is. That's a great, great book. I, I urge, I beg you, in view of God's mercy and light of what he's done, I offer your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God is the true and proper response to what he has done. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and perfect, pleasing will. I'm telling you, as, with as much love as I can tell you, you can't live in both worlds. You can't. Next subtlety, Pharaoh said, okay, I'll let you go offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the wilderness, verse 28 of chapter 8, <clears throat> but don't go too far. And listen to what he says, now pray for me. I'm going to talk about that at the end. Okay, this is what he's saying. Go worship God, but don't go too far. Okay, does that preach or what? All right, you can worship God, but you know, you can go too far with this religious thing. You, 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 can, you can go too far with this. That line was spit out a long time ago by Pharaoh in an effort to get people to settle for partial freedom and more importantly for partial commitment. Lines like, hey, if you go too far with this religious thing, you know it's going to affect a lot of other areas of your life. You're, you know, like your career, who you date, who you hang out with, what you spend your money on, how you raise your kids, who you marry, how you make decisions, what you watch, what you read. You know you can go too far with this religious thing. So don't go. I don't know if you've ever had anybody tell you that, especially when you just want to be a flat-out, fully devoted follower of Christ. And a relative of yours or a grandma of yours or somebody because you've left their faith or you've just simply started to follow Jesus with passion and enthusiasm and it has affected your work and your ethics and what you watch and what you read and how you live your life and what you spend your money on. And somebody walks up to you and says, you know what, you can take this religious thing a little bit too far. Some of you have had a husband say that. Why the enemy? Cross-reference, Luke chapter 10. Love God with most of your heart. Every once in a while with a little bit of your soul, a little bit of your strength, and a few things out of your mind, right? 
Not at all. What does he say? Love God with what? All your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. Fourth compromise is in chapter 10, verses 9 to 11. Moses said, hey, we'll, we'll go with our young and our old, our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and herds, because we're to celebrate the festival of the Lord. Pharaoh said, okay, the Lord be with you. If I let you go, though, along with your women and children, clearly you're bent on evil. So no. Have only the men go and worship God. That's what you want to begin with. That's what you've been asking for. And then Moses and Aaron were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. That's another one that can preach, right? You can go, but leave your families. Leave your kids. Let Egypt raise your kids. Parallels, incredible. It would be if parents who love God and are growing in Christ, but for reasons, to be really honest with you, I don't always understand. Either they're afraid, unable, or unwilling to bring their children, train their children, discipline their children, or motivate their children to love and honor God. And I don't always understand that. The challenge is this. If you don't raise your kids, Egypt would be thrilled to. If you don't challenge your kids, if you don't raise up your kids, if you don't train your kids, if you don't motivate your kids, if you don't discipline your kids, if you don't raise your kids, Egypt would be thrilled to. So the point is, obviously, don't let the system and society raise and influence your children. You and I as parents have the sole responsibility to do that. Don't even depend solely on the church. We'll do absolutely everything we can. All my years of ministry, every once in a while, I have somebody come to me and say, you know, if the church would have done a better job, if the youth group would have been a little bit better, if just somebody in church would have taken interest in my child, they would have come out better. We'll do the absolute best. Every time I hear when they talk in membership class, why us, all the churches in town, they'll say, love your children's ministry, love your youth ministry. That is awesome. We'll do our absolute best, but the burden responsibility lies on us, you and I as parents. Scripture from the beginning to the end, from the Old to the New Testament. Parents, raise your children, teach your children, be an example to your children. Believe me, if you don't influence them, the world would be happy to. It's right in front of them on the internet every single day. Why an eight-year-old would need a smartphone is beyond my capacity to understand, but I'll go... I'll save that sermon for another day. Parents will say, well, I want to force them. If you don't force them, lead them. Love them and discipline them and direct them. We live in a culture with an unbelievable, sad reality of all forms of abuse and neglect. They're horrifying. I hear them. I know the stories. And some have felt if I strongly influence my kid, it could be misconstrued. I want to tell you, one way to abuse your children, give them no direction, no discipline, no influence, no leadership. Now, on the one hand, we have this despicable reality of abuse. And on the other hand, there are those who worship at the shrine of their children. Whatever the kids want, that's what we do. That will preach as well, and you know where I could go with that. And then we wonder why they think the world revolves around them. Do you not see the correlation between the two? Moses said, no. No. We're taking our kids with us. We're not leaving our families behind. Parents, you and I have the responsibility of leaving, leading our children into godliness. One more compromise. It's after the ninth plague. Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, all right, go worship God. Even your women and children can go with you. But leave your flocks and herds behind. 
preaches too, doesn't it? Okay, your families can go, but leave your possessions here. Obviously, we use that to remind us that God owns everything. Some of you may be walking in incredible dimensions of freedom and grace in your walk with God, but when it comes to money and possessions, you struggle. God may own you. He just may not own all your stuff. <laughs> and the enemy of our life will try in every way he can to get us to invest in the wrong stuff if we're not careful. And you'll fight the battle constantly until you decide that God owns it all and has entrusted it into our care. But God owns it all. The battle for freedom isn't easy, I know that. You've got to be willing to fight the enemy at every corner. We sang it this morning, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Remember I said it took a year for the Israelites to get free? Ever wonder why it takes so long in some people's lives to get free? Some, to be honest with you, don't believe it. We can say all we want, but they just don't believe it. Others don't know if they want to pay the price. They want to get rid of all the junk in their lives, but they know it takes a lot of time and takes a lot of work, and they just don't know if they want to pay that ultimate price. Sometimes our freedom and growth is dependent on those around us. Sometimes the pace of our growth is determined by the people we're in community with, which is why you got to be careful not to hang around with all the same people who are at the same level as you. you got to have some people in your life or your small group who stretch you. But don't bail. We're a generation of bailers from problems, marriages, and churches. Don't bail. Lead the way. I think today, to be honest with you, we just have too many options. Stay with it. God is faithful to his promises, and you can be free. So the question remains, do you want to be free? Do you really want to be free? Do you really want to live in a land, a good and spacious land, or... Just maybe release the pressure for a while. And that's good enough. You gotta want more than that. I gotta also believe that there's some in this service or maybe the next who've been struggling for years who wanna be free. And so my encouragement to you is this put down the baggage, unpack the suitcase, face the enemy, and claim your freedom. The price for that freedom has already been paid. It was paid by the spotless, sinless Lamb of God that we sang about this morning. So, if you want to be free, you can be. It's not a magic wand. It is a relentless pursuit and passion for the living God. And you've got to quit buying the lies of the enemy. I close with this word. It's in your sermon notes this morning. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart which is exactly what Pharaoh did. I don't know if there's anybody who heard the word of God more than Pharaoh. He asked him to pray for him. Did you see that earlier? Two times in the process of the plagues, he said, I've sinned against the Lord. The same guy who said, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Sadly, Pharaoh doesn't repent. There's a huge difference between acknowledging my sin, acknowledging my weakness, and repenting of it. Pharaoh heard the voice of God from Moses, yet he continued to harden his heart. My passionate plea as we wrap up this message and wrap up this series, do not do that. If you hear the voice of God, ask him 
Come and ask him to break the bondage in your life. He will keep his promise. And he will do what he said he would do. Let me pray. God, I don't know how to ever, ever thank you for how clear your word is. And for all the opportunities we have to see and understand what we face and where we struggle and what we deal with and how to be free, the list is endless of the things you do. And so for that one or two in here this morning, maybe more than that, who really are wrestling with a variety of these things, have heard one of these compromises and realizes that's a lie they've been buying forever. I pray, oh God, in the name of Jesus, that you will give them the courage to come and to seek your face and ask for freedom in Jesus. I'm going to do something this morning that I don't always do, and that is to ask you to literally come. And because that's so foreign to you, because we don't do it that often, Maybe it's to invite Christ into your life. Maybe it is to have somebody pray over you. Now you're going to say, well, I'm not going to go forward. Somebody's going to know that I struggle with sin. Anybody in here that doesn't struggle with any area of their life, I'd love to know that hand right now. Anybody? Okay. So none of you are perfect. That's amazing. So don't buy that lie. Well, somebody's going to know. Can I be really honest with you? Somebody probably already knows. So don't keep buying the lie. If you want somebody to pray for you today, you're not going to be a full expansion of, you're going to have everything you've ever needed today, but you want to start there today. Get up right where you are now and come forward. And we'll pray for you. Anybody? All right. Anybody else? I want to pray for you. Some elders here this morning are going to come pray with you as well. And I'll do my best to get there. For the rest of you, I love you like crazy. Don't want to miss the next few weeks. I'm one of the best, 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 blessed pastors on the planet in that when I leave, nobody notices. You have four guys that are going to fill the spot that will be phenomenal. Don't miss that. But I love you, and uh, I'll see you in August. God, obviously, you know the needs of the people that stand here before you this morning and the honesty of which they've come. And so I pray in the powerful, wonderful name of Jesus that you will minister in phenomenal ways as they honestly come before you and say, I need you, I need you, I need you. Walk with me in this journey and set me free. Thank you for the privilege of being able to know that you are a God who, who answers prayer. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. For the rest of you, please leave quietly. God bless you, and see you in a few weeks. Got some elders, pastors, if you'll come and pray for uh, some of these, I would appreciate that very, very much.